Baby back door, baby fall off. Sipping codeine, cause I gotta kill the cold. Let me sit sideways in the big bins. Oh, you boys, they my brothers, they my friends. Now it's time to go to work. There's not one guy in the history of this program that's bigger than the program. <laughs> Listening to Brandon Drum. Look, I think the program is moving in a great direction. And Parker Thune. Venables knows what he's doing. This is the OU Insider Under the Visor Podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another OU Insider Under the Visor Sooners podcast. My name is Brandon Drum. I'm here with Parker Thune, and we're here to talk some Oklahoma football for you all uh, on this twenty. This podcast brought to you by Twenty Four Seven Sports. Uh, here you go. Oklahoma's taking on the Baylor Bears this weekend. Both teams five and three. Baylor's won two in a row, just like Oklahoma. Uh, last week beating Texas Tech 45 uh to 17 the previous week coming back or actually almost blowing a lead excuse me almost blowing a lead to Kansas at home but eventually they held off the Jayhawks and they've won two in a row obviously Dave Aranda is one of the best coaches in the country they're starting to find their footing just like Oklahoma. And this is a big ball game. To me, this is the biggest ball game of the year. I know we said that last week. And I, I don't think like that's going to be something that we say every week from here on out, Parker. I just think that it's it's really important that Oklahoma wins this ball game, wins three in a row, heading on the road to West Virginia because w- I know it's weird to say, but like they're after this weekend, if they beat Baylor, now that's when you can start talking about, okay, mathematically, how does this big 12 thing iron out before that? Everybody's like, dude, this is like no chance. And I was on one of those people. You were one of those people. We both were like, it's a long shot. Like there's no and, way that's going to happen. To be fair, it still is a very long yes, shot. Yes. It's a very long shot, but you go from like a 5% chance to like a 25% chance if and give or take 20% chance. Maybe if you beat Baylor, if you beat West Virginia and a couple things iron out your way, now you're out late, maybe a 40% chance, you know, with, with two games left to go and you never know after that, but it's a long shot still, regardless, like winner, Winner, if they win, it's still a long shot. But you can start to see things mathematically line up a little bit better. And that's, I guess, a goal if you're Oklahoma at this point is just win out and let everything else fall into place. Because we were talking about this last night, dude, and it's like, dude, if if by some miraculous off chance they make the Big 12 championship game and they redeem themselves against TCU. That means they've won out and now they've got 10 wins and they're 10 and three going into a bowl game, New Year's six bowl game. And had you said that on October 20th, no way, no way. 
And here we are in November and it's like, well, could it, could it, could it? I mean, look, at this point, you look at the slate in the month of November <laughs> for Oklahoma. I would posit that this game against Baylor is the toughest draw that they're going to face for yes. the remainder of the season. And I know like things can get weird when you go to Morgantown and when you go to Lubbock, I'm not saying those two road bedlam's bedlam by any means. And of course, bedlam is bedlam, but the Sooners get the pokes at home. I don't know what to think of that Oklahoma state team after the beatdown that Kansas state laid on them last weekend and West Virginia and Texas tech just don't have the firepower to go toe to toe with Oklahoma. They're going to need several things to break their way in those football games if they want to come out on the winning end. So I don't think it's far-fetched to assert that if Oklahoma gets past Baylor this weekend, they'll close the regular season at 9-3. and three. However, that's a big if because Baylor is a really good football team mm-hmm. that's starting to click. They're starting to turn the corner. They run the ball very effectively. They control the pace of the game. Their defense has had their ups and downs, but lately there have been a whole lot more ups than downs, and we know how good of a defensive mastermind Dave Aranda is. The question becomes... Does Aranda have as much success curtailing Jeff Levy's offense as he did uh, in what was the bowl game last year? Was it the Peach Bowl? Sugar Bowl. There you go. Uh, Where Levy was still the offensive coordinator at Ole Miss. And, of course, Aranda's Baylor defense powered down Ole Miss, albeit an Ole Miss team that was led by backup quarterback Luke Altmaier because of the injury to Matt Corral. But, nonetheless – Aranda's defense had a ton of success against Levy's scheme in that game. Is it going to be more of the same this Saturday? Or is the discrepancy in skill position talent between this Oklahoma team this year versus the Ole Miss team uh, that the Rebels brought into the bowl game a year ago, is that going to be enough of a difference uh, for Oklahoma to be able to unlock some big plays down the field, uh, get the requisite chunk gains that maybe Ole Miss didn't get in that football game? Uh, and be able to make some headway against this Aranda defense to the point where you put yourself in position to win a game by virtue of complementary football. Oklahoma's going to have to win this game the same way they won against Iowa State last week in Ames. They're not going to put up 45-50 on this Baylor football team. I guess in theory they could. I'd be very surprised if that happens. What it's going to take to beat a team like Baylor, what it always takes to beat a team like Baylor is a solid effort in all three facets of the game, which is exactly what we saw from Oklahoma at Jack Trice Stadium a week ago. Yeah, it, the defense has to show up, and you've got to have another big ball game from Deshaun White, mainly because I rewatched that Baylor-Texas Tech game yesterday, and I wasn't like totally into it. My My wife and kids walked through the door as I'm watching it, so I'm getting everybody's daily spill on how their day went and I'm trying to watch the game and it was re-shown on ESPNU yesterday and I'm watching it and Texas Tech for and yeah they have a young quarterback and and Baylor took full advantage of that by disguising a lot of things and really tricking him with pre and post snap uh, changes in the coverage and, and blitz packages and all that type of stuff I don't know that you can do that to a seasoned vet like a Dylan Gabriel, but, but I, at the same time, it's like, can they though? I mean, it's Dave Aranda and that, that defense or the, excuse me, uh, Baylor's offense was, they, they were just basically putting it down Texas Tech's throat. But, and in a, and they weren't necessarily going up the gut. They weren't having a lot of success with big plays up the gut. It was all off tackle and outside. And Texas Tech had trouble setting the edge. And I don't know if it was something that Aranda and his staff noticed on film, tendencies, obviously, that Texas Tech does. But if you don't think that they're not going to find that against Oklahoma – you're dreaming like that's what they do. That's why they're good. They're not going to out talent you. They're going to out scheme you and they're going to out execute you. And that's what a Dave Aranda's Baylor squad does. And they're tough. They're super tough. So 
I think a big ball game from a Deshaun White, a big ball game from the edge guys like Laulu and Downs and our Mason Thomas and Stripling. It's got to take place in, in, in Grimes. It's got to take place. And obviously up the gut, you need uh, – Jeffrey Johnson and a, a Jalen Redmond to do what they're supposed to do. And you need somebody outside of Redmond to have a big game on the interior. You don't do that. Now you're leaving Aguebu and Stutzman hanging out the dry. And as much as Aguebu tries, he's, he's a, he tries really hard. But to me, he's not... I I think I'm trying to word this without like bashing. Um he, he has limitations. Yes, there you go. He has limitations. He struggles with his keys at times, and everybody kind of gets upset at Stutzman. And a lot of times it's not him that's in the wrong place. Uh, he's making it's like, why is he making a play that far downhill field? Well, it's on the opposite side of him. He's 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 not that's not his side of the inside, and he's making the play down there because he's the one that read the keys for both linebackers. <laughs> so um and so that it, it they just and, and it's not that they don't um trust Jaron Kanick right now, it's that he still tr struggles a little bit. Like that's why they have him at Cheetah, is to, and this is what it, it was posted to me like this by a source. It was like Cheetah, you can cover up players' limitations and stuff because they're not a linebacker. They're not really a safety. You can move them around. You can blitz them. You can do things with them, and that's why that position is so vitally important. But at the same time. If you were to move Jaron Kanick to that inside backer, safety and linebacker are the two most confusing positions in a Brent Venables defense. And because of that, he gets a little lost. He gets a little lost. And that's why you haven't seen others. You don't, I, I think long term, if you're Brent Venables, you're trying not to ruin Jaron Kanick's confidence. And you're bringing him along slowly. That way, next year, if you deem him as the starter, he's able to do the things that he needs to do to help Stutzman out. And if I was a betting man, I would bet those are your starting linebackers next year. Just if I was a betting, that's who I would say your starting linebackers are. Seems, it seems like the safest bet, doesn't it? Yeah. Pretty safe. Yeah. And look... I think the youth movement on the defensive side of the ball for Oklahoma has been really encouraging the last few weeks. And I'm sure a lot of people would love to see more of Jaron Kanick. I certainly would love to see more of Jaron Kanick. But Absolutely. you know what? Yeah. You started to see Robert Spears Jennings get some meaningful action. Last week, you started to see Gentry Williams work his way into the rotation at cornerback. Grayson Halton has seen the field in some pretty significant situations. So there Tom. is... And and obviously, R. Mason Thomas has been part of the rotation from the get-go. But, I mean, look across the board. There's, there is and has been a concerted effort to make sure that these true freshmen are coming along, and they're coming along with in-game reps as opposed to just practice reps, to the point where you start to look ahead to 2023, and you don't know how many guys you're going to have back from this year's defense. My guess is you're going to have the vast majority coming back, but – the strides that guys like RSJ and Gentry and R. Mason Thomas have the potential to make one year to the next uh, could make this defense significantly improved, substantially improved in 2023 versus 2022, even though the actual tangible makeup of the defense may not be all that different. What do we talk about all the time with Brent Venables and the staff? It's development. Well, I think we're going to see this coming off season, just how good at development, just how much of a penchant for development um, this staff has, because I do think we're going to see guys make leaps. And I think we have seen guys make leaps from the beginning of the season until now. 
you're starting to see improvements made and you're starting to see progress made. And the hope is that as you hit the closing stretch here in November, you're playing your best football, especially on the defensive side. And I think that's within, within the realm of possibility for Oklahoma. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, do you, as far as the matchup goes for the offense of Oklahoma versus the defense of Baylor, we, we talked about the, the matchup between Baylor and Oklahoma's defense. And, you know, we, we feel like they're probably going to try to attack the outside again. They're going to probably, they're going to try to push it down your throat and establish the run. Cause that's what they do. And then they're going to try to hit you with play action and uh, just, they don't like big play. That's not their thing. Like, like, like big play over the top. Like you don't see a lot of that with Baylor. What you see a lot of is them long drives. They're they're essentially, folks. What you're about to watch is a tougher Kansas State. Like, and I, it's weird to say tougher Kansas State, but they're more physical than Kansas State offensively. Like that's what they are. And but on the flip side, when looking at Oklahoma's offense versus Baylor's defense. There's a lot of experience in that secondary, too. There's a lot of fifth-year guys in that secondary. And that, to me, I think is going to be the matchup, is how does Dylan Gabriel and the Oklahoma wide receivers and tight ends have success against Baylor's secondary? That is just they're, – they're ball hawks. And – After watching the Sugar Bowl, and granted, Ole Miss was with that without Matt Carell for a good portion of the game. He got injured uh, trying to run him, and I remember. I remember it was a big. Remember how big a deal it was that he was playing. Like, what is he doing? Like, why is he playing this game? He get injured. He's supposed to be a first round draft pick, and it, it essentially cost him. But, but. To me, it showed how tough he was and who he is as an individual. For others, it was like you're throwing money away. Okay, whatever, you know. He still made the NFL. He's still getting paid millions. Good for him. But Baylor shut down. Shut down Levy's offense. And... I'm wondering, obviously they had a month to prepare for that, Parker. But should that be a massive concern for Oklahoma fans when you look back at that and you're like, oh my God, man, like they know how to defend Levy's offense. Now, personnel's different. I think the run game for Oklahoma is a lot different than the run game for Mississippi last year, whereas Corral would run a lot more than Dylan Gabriel did different player. Um, Eric Gray, Javante Barnes, Marcus Major are different running runners than Ole Miss. And obviously, I think talent-wise, overall, overall, I think Oklahoma's wide receivers are more talented. But I think it goes back to quarterback. Can Dylan Gabriel have success against this Baylor secondary? It's the big question. Yeah, and I I think he can, Brandon. And I think you rewind to that Sugar Bowl last year between Ole Miss and Baylor. It was very evident, very clear. And I was a big fan of Luke Altmaier coming out of high school. Loved his skill set. Loved his poise. But it was very, very clear from the get-go that there was a significant gap in talent between Matt Corral and any other quarterback Ole Miss could have thrown out there. So when Matt Corral left that game in the first quarter, I think every Ole Miss fan had a healthy understanding of the fact that, okay, this might not be going a direction that we enjoy. And I think it's very similar to the dynamic Oklahoma has a quarterback, right? If Dylan Gabriel were to exit the game this Saturday in the first quarter, I think there'd be plenty of Oklahoma fans that just pack up and head for the exits because They've seen what the backup plan at quarterback looks uh, like, and it's not enthralling. 
And so as really? long as you have as long as you have your starting quarterback cooking, which I think Dylan Gabriel will be, uh I think you feel pretty good about Jeff Lebby's offense going up against Dave Aranda's defense. For me, man, it starts in the trenches on both sides of the ball. Oklahoma is going to have to win the battle at the line of scrimmage because one thing Baylor always has up front, and it is no different this year on both the offensive line and the defensive line, they have both experience and bulk. They got some big boys that have played a lot of ball. Look, especially on the defensive side of the ball right now, Siaki Ika, as well as Jackson Player, a guy that Oklahoma pursued in the transfer portal this past offseason when he hit the portal from Tulsa, uh, but ended up going back home to Waco to play at Baylor. And so Richard Reese, the true freshman running back for the Bears, has had so much success on the ground, especially over the last few weeks. Uh, That Baylor defensive line can wreak havoc when they're playing their best ball. And so Oklahoma's offensive line has kind of, they've flown under the radar. They've played really well to this point, Brandon. They've played really mm-hmm. well. And so they they may face their biggest challenge of the year uh, going up against this Baylor front four. And then conversely, you look at Oklahoma's defensive line. They've, they've left some, <laughs> they've left some money on the table. They've left some meat on the bone. That's fair to say. Yeah. And so, uh, on it, it's a tale of two different units. Oklahoma's offensive line, you probably have a good deal of confidence in. Oklahoma's defensive line, you're a little bit skeptical. You need mm-hmm. to see, see them make a couple plays on Saturday before you're going to believe that they're going to be able to power down Richard Reese. And I've been saying it all week. I'll continue to say it. I think this is the type of game this weekend that Oklahoma is going to have to win in spite of Richard Reese because he's going to get his. I just... I don't foresee Oklahoma being able to neutralize that threat in the run game. And so you're going to have to concede that Reese is going to put up a pretty impressive statistical line. And that is what it is. It comes down to what else can you do to limit Baylor offensively? What else can you do to kind of make sure that they display an inability to push the ball down the field and make some of the plays necessary uh, to sustain long drives and create scoring opportunities. And for me, that starts with being opportunistic when Blake Shapen puts the ball in the air. He is somewhat turnover prone, and Mm -hmm. the Sooners picked off three passes last weekend. Finally, they were able to secure passes that they got hands on, which they really hadn't done to that point in the season. So. Will it be more of the same this Saturday? If so, you feel good about Oklahoma's chances to win the turnover battle against Baylor. And if you can win the turnover battle, I think you win the football game against a team like that. Yeah, I I think you're right. I, I think Reese is he's kind of the key. Um, <clears throat> I think, um, you know, watching Oklahoma's secondary last week was – kind of an eye-opener for a lot of us because, like you said, we hadn't seen them play opportunistic football like that in a while. Like they, and They've gotten turnovers, but it hadn't been in chunks like that. And maybe that's something we'll see again this week. Blake Shapin, uh, hey, as good as he's been the last, you know, year or so, when he's when he really took over the job, he's also been turnover prone. Uh, I think if you go back and you look at, I think his stats this year. I'm trying to pull up because I remember I, I remember hearing it during the um, the broadcast for uh, on ESPN when I was watch rewatching the game um, yesterday. Uh, he's, I I guess, leading up to the game versus Texas Tech, he had fumbled the ball quite a bit. I guess he's thrown interceptions. Uh, he's done a lot of that over the past, I don't know, the first few games of the year. And I'm, I'm looking at it right now. He has five interceptions this year already. As far as fumbles go, 
Um, trying to find the actual stats on that. I don't have it. But I know he's fumbled several times this year as well. So he's got seven or eight turnovers in his name. And that, if you're Oklahoma, I think that's something you 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 take full advantage of, man. Like, you try to confuse him. And, I, again, I, I was watching Steve Stutzman last night on Sikkim365. It was on YouTube, his interview. And I think it was posted on our board. If I remember correctly, yeah, it was. It was posted on our board, one of our boards, Owen and Owen Field or whatever. I, I was just sifting through the board and um he said something that I thought was really interesting. And this is where I get at if Oklahoma can do what they, they need to do defensively. He said, I, I went to my son's room before one of the football games this year, and everybody talks about how intricate Brent Venable's defense is and he goes I agree they need to give them time like these players next year are going to be way better than they are this year because they're still learning all the nuances of a very hard defense to learn but to kind of drive that point home he said I walk into I walk into Danny's room and there's this book and not really a book it's not like a hardback or paperback book it's like just a clump of papers stapled together with a ring binder kind of in a notebook and they're numbered 1 through 65 do you want to know what that, that was 1 through 65 what was it it was a game plan for that game later on that week. The OU defensive game plan, it was 65 pages long for one week. It's a lot of game plan in there, Brandon. That's a lot of game plan. <laughs> That's a lot of game planning, dude. And he said, I opened it up and I was reading through it. <clears throat> and about how they adjust to certain things and and all the communication and the worded and the verbiage and the vernacular and uh, everything that they've got to do for that specific ball game because it changes weekly. And he goes, I thought I knew football as a coach, as a former player, as a former All-State guy, as a former star at Baylor, as a tight end. And... I don't know that much football. <laughs> like he's like, it is hard, hard. He goes, but the one thing these kids are going to come away being able to do is be a coach when they leave, because they're going to understand everything about the game of football. And I remember talking to <clears throat> this is how nice day uh, coach Chavis is just for everybody to know. Coach Chavis, defensive end coach for uh, Oklahoma, and we're we're at a camp. And I told him, I said, "Look, you know, he was asking me about my oldest son, <clears throat> and this is how not not only nice, but how smart these coaches are." And we were talking to him. I was like, "You know, this is what we plan on doing against this certain team that we'll probably see in in a first place game and stuff like that." And he goes. Yay, yo, yo, are y'all gonna uh how y'all gonna shift your alignment whenever if they go over trips on this? Is you gonna go are you gonna go four over three and you're gonna have this and this and this going blah blah blah? You know, oh I love to help out with that. That's my dream. Like he gets like all amped up over this, and he's like talking about how he wants to be a when he gets done coaching high school or college football, he wants to go coach junior high and high school and use everything that he's learned with Brent Venables and just dominate the crap out of everybody. At the, and he goes, I don't even need real good talent. I just need guys that are smart enough to do what I need to do, and I'm going to find those guys. And I was like, wow. And he goes, if you ever need any help, man, just send me what y'all are going to do game plan, and I'll help y'all. Blah, blah, blah. Like, he's just being nice, but, yeah. like, he, this dude was talking stuff like, I thought I knew football. 
like, and I get the four over three, three over four, all that type of stuff. That's that's nothing. But he was talking about shifting into all sorts of crap that I was like, what? Like, I played for 12 years. That defense is what? What did you just say to me? I was like, number one, they're 10. <laughs> so like, I was like, well, we, we get kind of intrinsic on it, but like, we don't get that intrinsic. And golly, dude, like, and that's where I kind of knew like these guys are on another level. Like these are different. And then when you hear Steve Stutzman talk about it, yo, like these cats are on another level. So that I think it's sooner fans. You need to be that ought to give you confidence in what's to come. You look and you see what Clemson did when they figured it out as a team and everybody meshed together. When this team meshes together and understands where they're supposed to be, how they're supposed to do it, and when they're supposed to do it, all as a cohesive unit, the Big 12 and the SEC are in trouble. They're in trouble. Like, and I believe that because they have the smartest coaches outside of like a Saban or Kirby Smart. Uh, maybe even in Aranda uh, in college football. They have the smartest coaches, period. Defensively and offensively. I believe that. I wholeheartedly believe that. I think it sucks losing Gundy because I think he's one of the smartest coaches in college football or was one of the smartest coaches in college football. And you got to see that during the Alamo Bowl and how he called the game, which I thought was beautiful to watch. But... Still, as a whole, this this staff has got it, and they're in good hands, man. They're in good hands. Win or lose, Saturday, seven and five, six and six, eight and four, nine and three at the end of the year, Parker. They're in good hands. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I, I think I think most people realize that there have been some alarmists that have taken to social media uh, with renewed vigor, especially after Caden McDonald committed to Ohio State this past yeah, weekend. Oh and it, it it just it doesn't it it's never made sense, Brandon. But it makes even less sense when you just look at the track record for these guys, especially Brent Venables and everybody that he handpicked to come with him. Like, if you're not going to give Brent Venables the benefit of the doubt, I don't know what to tell you because the guy's done more as a defensive coach than arguably anybody in college football. And trust me, everybody that he chose to join his staff at Oklahoma, he chose for a reason. He wasn't just like, okay. We were going to bring in this rando and this rando and this rando. And it doesn't really matter because as long as I'm calling the shots, we're fine. No, mm-hmm. he was very intentional with the guys that he brought in. There's a reason he brought Brandon Hall back. There's a reason he gave Miguel Chavis his first on-field opportunity. There's a reason why he brought in Ted Roof to help ease the transition. And so, again, if you are a, a level-headed Oklahoma fan, <laughs> I think you're very confident in the direction of this defense because you know, and you just illustrated it right there, Brandon, these guys know a ton of ball. They're very good at what they do and they're never satisfied. No. Yeah. And I, I think you, you have to look at the recruiting trail and, how they've continued to evaluate and offer guys. Like, it's not like the fans look at it as, oh, this is plan B, this is plan C, this is plan D. No, like, I guess in eye and sight, you can say that, like, if you were going to be negative about it. But how often, Parker, do these plan B and C and D when they come in? <clears throat> excuse me, folks, I've got the worst cold. When they come in, um, they tend to be successful. <laughs> like yeah. they're, they're not, they, they, you can, like we can name them right now. And, Was our Mason Thomas a plan a nope. Grayson Haltom. Nope. Was Jaron Canick was a plan. I guess he was a plan a originally, yeah. but I mean, yeah, but I'm trying to think of some other, uh, Kip Lewis was a plan A. Um, you know who wasn't a plan A? Robert Spears Jennings. That's very true. Wasn't a plan A, and he became a plan A after being evaluated. And that's what we're talking about: eval, eval, evals. And 
Gavin Freeman says hello. No, right? Like, it happens. And uh, you want to know who wasn't a plan A? Marcus Major. He was not a plan A. He was like the eighth or ninth running back offer. And literally everybody thought he was going to Oklahoma State for the longest time. And so Oklahoma won that battle, and it was difficult to win. They had whiffed on a couple of running backs, and that's when they offered Marcus Major. And Marcus Majors turned out to be pretty good when healthy. When healthy. Um, Look at other wide receivers. Jaden Gibson wasn't a plan A. Nick Anderson wasn't a plan A. I mean, like this, it's... It happens. It happens. And, you know, I'm trying to look, sift through other guys that are playing quite a bit for Oklahoma that weren't plan A's. Um, But still, I guess the point being is, is that a lot of times, even if they don't start, they end up being successful at the net, at that level, and it's they're usually because they're just football players. They're just football players, and you can win with a lot of football players. And essentially, that's what Oklahoma's looking at uh, on that on both sides of the ball right now. No matter what, like they're still offering athletes, athletes. I'm putting in air quotes, athletes that are more so wide receivers. Um, just because maybe there's going to be some attrition at that position after the season, which we both kind of feel there is. Um, They're offering offensive linemen because we feel like there may be some attrition there with some guys leaving or being politely escorted to the door and shown this is where you probably should go uh, in a very polite way. And they're doing so on the defensive line as well. And you've got three of the top players in the country committed to you. I believe Oklahoma lands Ashton Sanders after Bedlam. Like, I think that's happening. Um, And then you have DJ Hicks and Marcus Strong, who probably will take a official, I would assume, for Bedlam as well. And now you're down to like, here, here's the crazy thing. And before, before we do this, actually, before we get on to that, what's your score prediction for this weekend? Because we've got to talk about all the offers and that's going to take a little bit. So we've got to get into that real quick. I got Oklahoma by a score of 34 to 29. I think you do see a moderate amount of points scored in this game. I think both offenses mm-hmm. do move the ball effectively, but in the end, I just again, it come it kind of comes down to the same razor's edge on which I foresaw last week's game swing. I just trust Dylan Gabriel to make a few more plays than Blake Shapin, and mm-hmm. to me, that's the difference. And I predicted a double digit win last week, and luckily it happened. I said, I said they'd win by fourteen, and they did. I what did I say? I said uh, you said thirty-seven twenty-one was. Your oh, first. sixteen! Dang it! I thought I said thirty-five twenty-one. Ugh. All right, I despise you, Parker. You should just let me have that win. You had to go technical on me. All right, uh, <laughs> so I'm going to do the same this week. They're at home. I think the defense is gaining confidence week by week, and because of that. I'm going to predict Oklahoma wins 37-23. That's a weird number. I get it. I'll just do 38-24. I'll do 38-24. 38-24 because I want it to be 14 again. No, I you know what? I'm sticking it. I'm sticking it. I'm going to go. What would, six, what would be a good 16 number, Parker? 3721. 3721 will be my exact same as last week, huh? Yep, I'm going for it. There you go, guys. 
for you superstitious people out there, we're going to keep it rolling. Every week it's going to be 37-21 until they lose. <laughs> um, so, uh, and I'm a superstitious guy too. So I wear certain socks and shirts to every one of my kids' games, the same ones. As long as they're winning, I wear the same stuff to every game. I'm a weird kid, weird guy, superstition. Um, but yeah, the, on the recruiting front, The, the fans, Parker, are you have you have a certain you got two sects of fans right now. You got the sect of oh my gosh, three star you again, blah 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 blah. Fire Coach Bates. He didn't land Caden McDonald, and now Coach Bates is great again because David Hicks is visiting. We told you all, literally, we said. We can't say much more about it right now, but we think things are far from over. And we said that for like the last month, Parker, for a month after he made the decision, we said it is not over. Things are still rolling. That's as much as we can say. Well, now that DJ Hicks has come out and said it, yes, they're visiting. And I'll, I'll dive into that real quick. There's a good chance that dad will not be on the visit. Okay. And this came from his, uh, okay. I told y'all last week, I said, I spoke to his dad for like 30 minutes. He called me and we, we had been texting back and forth. And finally he was like, Hey, I'm going to call you in 15 minutes. Be free. Cause he wanted to talk. Cause we just hadn't talked. And we used to talk two or three times a week just to catch up. Cause we got close over the last few years covering DJ. And so, um, and him being a coach is really, it's just cool to talk. You, you, you stay in touch when they're recruiting coordinators at a school like that. And Parker can vouch for that. You stay in touch with the recruiting coordinators. Like I know Galagosek didn't guy really well. And like, those are the guys that you talk to all the time because that's their job is to deal with the media and yeah. deal with the coaches, the college coaches. So the head coach can run the program. That's literally their job is to deal with all that. So you grow co close to all that and, Coach Hicks was the is now he's the interim head coach and the recruiting coordinator for Katie Paytel. And so we were talking, and he said the thing that made the difference for DJ and AM was the fact that he played at Allen for a year and felt uncomfortable because he only had three or four guys that he was close to. And he said, when you look at Oklahoma right now, he has a comfortability with coach Bates, the same way he had a comfortability with Chad Morris at Allen, super close, all that type of stuff. <clears throat> he said, but Zena Umiazulu and, um, Michael Hawkins and, two guys that are that graduated uh and moved on and um Davon were the only guys that he was like real tight with in that class in the Ed Allen. Like he wasn't close to a lot of people in that locker room. It just because he's a quiet if you get to know DJ a little bit, he's quiet, man. He is just quiet. Like he'll talk to you if he knows you, but if he if there's other people around that he's not comfortable with he is going to clam up. And that's that's just who he is. He's not a he's an introvert. That's just what he is. Great kid, just an introvert. And at Oklahoma, it was Derek LeBlanc, it was Jackson Arnold, potentially Peyton Bowen, and Colton Vasic. That's who he's close with. That's it. Like there's oh and and Jaquay's Petaway. There's five guys. What well, A and M? He has his best friend and Damon Sanford, and we'll get to that here in just a second. And he has three or four guys on the offense, four or five guys on the defense that he grew up with, playing against in little league, playing with or against, and he's just comfortable. 
He just felt comfortable in that locker room. Now, are they watching everything that's gone down with the suspensions and, you know, the allegations with the marijuana and all that type of stuff? And I do find it interesting that he says he hasn't talked to Coach Fisher since September 19th. And I can tell you for a fact, he talks to Coach Venables once or twice a week. He talks to Coach Bates every day. So the relationship, and still to this day, the Hickses will tell you the best relationship they have is with the Oklahoma staff, and it's not close. Like, if you relationships, it's Oklahoma. Comfortability in the locker room, A&M. And when you're going to go with that, comfortability in the locker room, because you're going to spend more time with the guys in the locker room than you are with the staff, that's going to win. That's just going to win. That's how it is. So... He's going to take an official visit, he says, for Bedlam. He's coming up with his mom, who hasn't really been to Norman very often, hardly at all. Dad's been up three or four times over the last few years, uh, whether quiet visits or public visits. So grandparents have been up three or four times. The comfortability with the whole family with Oklahoma is strong, very strong. Mama needs to be sold on this. And so that's a big deal. <coughs> oh, and by the way, this morning we're recording on a November 3rd, Thursday morning. His best friend in Texas A&M linebacker commit, four-star linebacker commit, Damon Sanford, and also teammate at Katie Paytow, picked up an Oklahoma offer. It was offered on November 2nd. Late last night, Venables called and offered Damon Sanford, and it came straight. And that's a big deal, folks. I want to I want to explain that to everybody. Like that's a big deal that Venables was the one that did that offer. So, um, we'll see if, if if Sanford takes an official visit with Hicks or comes on the official with him, so like he can come up with and get to do everything that DJ does, and he can just be a guest of DJ. And so he wouldn't be counted against the numbers, which would would be really smart at this point for Oklahoma to do that. Who knows what happens? Anytime you have a linebacker coach that's Brent Venables and you're a linebacker that's offered, Oklahoma will have a chance. They will have a chance. He's the best linebacker coach in America. And because of that, Oklahoma's going to have a chance. Like, I I know for a fact they're going to – because it was even brought up to me by several people at KD Paytel. If Oklahoma offered Sanford, doesn't matter when, if they offered Sanford, he can get up and take an official visit or a visit to Oklahoma. That could change things. And it's happened. So now we have to wait and see if the visit's going to take place. I'm going to hit up Sanford later on today. I'm going to go back down there next week and spend some time with them and see what's going on. And we're going to go from there. So, um, But there's been a lot of other offers, Parker. A lot. There How, about you, break? How about you break some of that stuff down? Okay, fair enough. Well, I mean, you start – uh, over the weekend with three-star Kansas State commit Jordan Allen. We talked about this in the live stream a little bit. This is one of those guys uh, kind of in the same vein as a Cade McIntyre in the sense that he's a, a somewhat under-recruited but very legitimate two-way Power 5 prospect. Again, uh, picked Kansas State back in September over Iowa, Iowa State, and Missouri and others. Always wanted to stay closer to home. Uh I'm curious to see how this one turns out because I think the Sooners do stand a decent chance of being able to flip Jordan Allen. If they do do that, though, I'd be willing to bet that he becomes a tight end at OU and then McIntyre moves over to linebacker. I think that's certainly within the realm of possibility. Um, Obviously, you already touched on a couple of the new defensive line offers. Marcus Strong. Uh, the fast rise in 2023 out of Union County, Florida, or Lake Butler, I suppose, Union County High School, uh, who picked up 18 offers in the month of October alone. 
Uh, and then you have Ashton Sanders, the three-star out of Los mm -hmm. Angeles, who's going to be taking an official visit November 19th. And regardless of how the Hicks saga turns out, it seems like Sanders is a guy that the OU staff is going to push for and push pretty hard for uh, one way or another, no matter right. how things ultimately swing between OU and Hicks or OU and Sanford, all that. Right. So um, I'll be curious to find out what happens when Ashton Sanders shows up to Norman, because just at, at face value, man, OU's the biggest offer he's got right now. And uh, it's fresh. I think there's a, uh, there's a sense of novelty there. Uh, that's got Sanders really, really excited, uh, as well as uh, obviously the prestige and the pull that Todd Bates has. So, I, I it wouldn't shock me if Ashton Sanders is a Sooner in the end. Would not shock me at all. And that official visit will be telling. But as of right now, man, the OU just happened to get in on his recruitment at a time where it seemed like everything was wide open, and so they could stand to capitalize from that. Certainly, um, I am. Are we missing? Yeah. Okay. So Dye McCullo, three-star Cincinnati commit. Uh, There's a lot back. going on there. <laughs> so listen. But yeah. yeah. Uh so son of Notre Dame assistant coach Delan McCullough. And committed to Cincinnati, was originally committed to Indiana to play with his brother Deshaun, as well as uh, his dad, who was then on staff at Indiana. Uh, but after his dad left to go to Notre Dame, Dye decommitted, ended up at Cincinnati. Oklahoma's right there in the thick of it as of right now in his recruitment as well after just jumping in with an offer. Then you got Edwin Joseph. Uh, Brandon, you know more about that, that situation than I do. But uh, Shalmanad Madonna, that's a, it's a high school with which OU fans should get familiar if they haven't already because it produces ballers on ballers on ballers year after year. And Joseph is no exception. Uh, gonna be intriguing to see whether he ends up making a visit because he does have a ton of interest from a lot of schools very close to home, i.e., Miami, i.e., Florida State. Uh, Georgia Tech's been pushing pretty hard for him. Uh, so we shall see. We shall see. It, Brent Venables, especially, has a lot of sway in the state of Florida. And so if can he can he flex his muscles on everybody and go pull somebody like Edwin Joseph? That becomes the question at this point in that recruitment. But yeah, Brandon, it seemed like it was going to be a pretty cut and dried finishing kick to this recruiting cycle for Oklahoma. And the last two weeks have kind of thrown that into a state of, of upheaval to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. uh, there's another defensive lineman that I think uh he just decommitted from uh um the he just decommitted from Washington from St. John Bosco Sua Lafotu Sua Lafotu Oklahoma he was has committed to Washington Washington yeah that's right three star um he's only taken one visit I am going to sit here and say that this kid may be a guy that Oklahoma could end up um, offering at some point. We'll see. Uh, it never hurts to get inside the walls of St. John Bosco, does it? No, it does not. Not <laughs> by a long shot. <laughs> yeah. Um, you talked about Dan McCullough, and I think that's an interesting recruitment all the way around. Um his brother, Deshaun, is at Indiana. Does he stay at Indiana? Like, I, there's been rumors. You and I both heard them. It always kind of felt like once dad left, yeah, the kid wasn't going to finish out at Indiana. And I don't see Notre Dame being, because after that situation happened, if your dad, and we're talking about Draylon McCullough, if your dad, who's a former Kansas City player, uh, was a coach at Kansas City, the Chiefs, um, the uh, he's a running backs coach at Notre Dame now. If you're Jalen McCullough or Daylon McCullough, if you're him, knowing just how fickle the 
coaching spectrum is. Do you have your kids look at Notre Dame or do you go, hey, Deshaun, you ever thought about maybe transferring from Indiana and going somewhere that you feel more comfortable with? Knowing that this kid grew up, remember, he was with, he's been at, they were at Kansas City for a long time with um, Andy Reeves, right? Is that correct? Like, they were there for a while, wasn't he? You would know more than me. You're from that area. Uh, that that area is definitely not where I'm from. <laughs> well, you're from the Ohio, like, Kansas City. Like, you, that. the Chiefs are big up there. That's what I'm, like, that's where In I'm In Ohio? At. Omaha, excuse me, Omaha, excuse me. I'm in o- Omaha. Uh, he was only no, he was only, he was only there for two years, right? Indiana for one year most recently, but he had a no. I'm talking about I was talking about the Chiefs. Years. He was only there for two years with the Chiefs, but it was during McCullough's Deshaun's high school. Basically, all of his high school, he was in Kansas City. Yeah. So when that's when that happens, you you kind of as a kid, you see that as home. A lot. And they also grew up in Indiana quite a bit too. So I think the comfortability there, because they were in Indiana for five, six years before that. Yeah. Uh, so he they spent a total of seven years uh, in Indiana and three years in Kansas City. Um, but as kids, you know, um, you graduate from the Missouri area. You've got a comfortability there. Does Oklahoma seem like a place where both of them could like, and and we don't know that Deshaun's going to end up in the portal guys like this. is just, we're literally spitballing here. Like ideas because of the rumors that are out there. Like there are plenty of rumors out there. Like he signed with Indiana, but now that Indiana has been kind of falling apart and you're, the big name guy that was in that class. It kind of makes sense that the rumors are out there. And because of that, I mean, Oklahoma offers his younger brother. Do you think that that would be something they would look at? Like, do they, do they need the numbers at linebacker? Like, I don't, uh, I yes. don't know. Yes. I, I, I yes, know. I know. I know that, but I mean, you see them offering Sanford. You see them. So, you, so let's say let's hypo. This is all hypothetical. They bring in Sanford. They bring in the other linebackers in this class. They lose Aguebu. Who else did they lose? Uh. And they don't really have to lose a Guaybu like a Guaybu. Like I well, guess he stays. They, he's he has another year, but they lose TD Roof. So he's gonna but he's been gone all year. He doesn't he doesn't count. Yeah, that's for what that's worth. Because he like you said, he was gone already. Uh, outside of that, I mean, I don't know if there really is anybody else that you know for sure you lose unless you have a couple guys. So so that's what I mean. Like, so you're gonna be pretty deep at linebacker now. I don't know. I don't know if I would say that. Because they're, I mean, they're thin right now as it is. They're Uber. thin in the part that because they don't want to play a lot of those guys and they want to redshirt them. That's why they're thin. But numbers, they have guys that can back up. Like they've got like six guys total, I think, in the linebacker room. You're adding three or four already, potentially. So put, put you at 10, maybe. Do you need another guy transfer coming in? I would think you could use another experienced guy. Yeah, yes. that's fair. That's fair. That's yeah. fair. Okay. Yeah, never. So hurts. at the end of the day, that's what makes the McCall thing interesting because I think it's going to depend on if brother stays at Indiana. I think does he stay at Cincinnati or does he look around? I think there's a chance that Oklahoma gets a visit from McCullough. If I was going to pick the safeties right now of who Oklahoma ends up with in 2023, you got Ooh. McCarty. Already, I would go. Um, oh, the Juco offer, Kindle, um, Kendall Dolby, Kendall Dolby. I'd go Kendall Dolby. I think he's a stud, by the yep. way. Uh, a lot of people think 
I heard he he reminds a lot of people of Derek Street, and I think that'll make OU fans very happy. Um, so you've got Kendall Dolby. I think you'll end up with him, McCarty. I think you end up with Peyton Bowen. I know. But, Hello. So that's three, but you got to have one more because they're going to take four total in this class. Who is the fourth, if you had to guess right now? Mm. Who all have they offered? Is it going to be McCullough or is it going to? I think I would lean toward it being McCullough. I agree. So now, OU fans, having heard what we just said, how happy are you about the safety room now? It's basically turned on its head. (laughs) If that happens, you went from, oh, no, we're going to have Key Lawrence, Billy Bowman next year, you know, RSJ. It's going to be a really cool, and Damon Harmon. It's going to be. They're going to be really talented to, holy crap, they're super talented. They may be young, but they're super talented. So I think that's pretty good. Defensive line, who do you think they end up with? Go ahead, Parker, do it. Do it. You won't. LeBlanc, PJ. You won't. Osik. You won't. Beyond beyond the guys that are already committed. You won't. Ashton saying, dang it, Brandon. (laughs) You won't. I think they get Ashton Sanders. And? I think they get Ashton Sanders. <laughs> if you're not watching this, he has he has the I don't want to say the bad word. He has a crap eating grin on his face right now. Um, I'm not going to say it because once I say it, oh yeah, it's going to go viral, bro. It'll go viral, dude. My eye is just like messed up right now. Um, yeah, I agree with you. In a very quiet way i agree with you i the named guys you named yes they will be in the class i agree they think they will sign with oklahoma and yes i do think vasic signs with oklahoma as of today as of today so uh linebacker do the sanford sign with oklahoma I you're, ducked out really, i ducked out of the screen when i asked yeah, that yeah you're really you're really working the uh, the roundabout angles here um, I think they add another linebacker to this class. Look at you. I agree. I don't know who that might be, though. So, all right. That's about the time we have for this one. Parker's got to go do a radio show, and I've got to go get on the road, going to watch Denton Geyer versus Prosper Rock Hill, Kevin Sperry versus Jackson Arnold. Should be fun. 2025, Kevin Sperry, Oklahoma's potential top target in that class. Yeah, Kevin Sperry gives you a lot of Jackson Arnold vibes, doesn't he? He does. Yeah. He does. Both of them remind me of Baker Mayfield a lot, the way they play. A lot. So, um, very tough guys. Uh, And that was the, the analogy that I was given whenever I asked a few sources in Norman about Kevin Sperry. And the first thing that came up was me to me was man. He has a Baker Mayfield look to him for being so young, just rugged, rough has a gunslinger mentality and is competitive, competitive as all get out. And his dad played Washington state against Oklahoma in the 2020, 2003 Rose bowl, uh, was a starting linebacker for him in that game. So, they do love Oklahoma quite a bit. If Oklahoma offers Sperry, I think that recruitment will be over pretty quickly. Because Sperry does not like the recruiting process at all. So, um, anyways, we'll have some information on Peyton Bowen and all those guys that didn't Geyer, and we'll have stuff on Kevin Sperry on OU Insider. Parker will have information. He's going down to watch Melissa versus who is it? Lovejoy. So, Lovejoy. Oh my yeah. gosh, there's a lot of talent on that field. Yeah. Yeah, Nigel Smith, Peyton Pierce. Yep. Yep. He'll have some good information of potential five star linebacker or potential five star defensive lineman in Nigel Smith in 2024 and an OU legacy and one of the uh, top linebackers in the country, Peyton Pierce from Lovejoy. Peyton Pierce's family is from Mustang, Oklahoma. His 
uncle runs our little league here. Uh, little shout out to Louis Kravonic. Uh, so anyways, great guy, great family. So I, we both like Oklahoma's chances there. Um, <laughs> very much so. Very yeah. much so. And with Nigel Smith, but I think you'll be able to say that a little bit more after you talk to them. And we'll have all that information on OU Insider. So if you're not subscribed to the YouTube, if you're following on the YouTube, please give us a like and subscribe. Uh, we're almost to 8,000. Have we hit 8,000 yet? We, uh, we're getting there. Not quite Almost 8,000 in three months. Not bad, folks. Appreciate you Sooner fans. Uh, we can't do it without you guys. If you're following us on the whatever podcast platform you have, give us a subscribe, give us a like. Uh, we love the fact, give us five stars. We'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, appreciate every one of you guys listening to us. Uh, we do it for you guys. We feel blessed to be able to do this for you all. You all. Also, if you're not subscribed to OU Insider right now, 30% off, $75. We'll get you OU Insider and all of 24-7 Sports, which means you get all 250 24-7 Sports sites just for $75 for a whole year. And then after the first year, after, after, after the first year, you get Paramount Plus added to that for free. So that's pretty an amazing offer, but you have to stay with us for a year. If you don't want to do that and you just want to give us a try leading up to National Signing Day and all that type of stuff, uh, $1 can get you a month with us. You can finish the season out. You get close to National Signing Day. And then if you decide if you want to stick with us, it's only $9.95 a month. So give us a try. Sign up. Become members. We're growing really fast. Our page views are off the wall. Our subs are out, out of the wall. And it's all because of you, 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 Sooner fans. And we can't do it without you. We feel super blessed to be able to do it. I say that every podcast, but we truly mean that. Like, we love our job. We love bringing you guys information. We love doing our job on OU Insider. And there's thousands and thousands and thousands. Like, literally... There are so many people on our board right now. It's always super busy. There's at least two or 3,000 OU fans on at all times, uh, chatting, putting stuff up. The board changes constantly. So, And that's all because of you guys. So uh, we're trying to get to the five digits. We're close. So um, if you can get to the, get us to the five digits, we'd love it uh, as far as members goes and subs. So anyways, that's going to do it for this version of the OU Insider Under the Visor Sooners podcast. Parker and I both predicted Oklahoma to win this weekend, and we will see you guys after the OU Baylor game at 2 p.m. on Saturday for the postgame podcast. So you all have a blessed day. <laughs>